Just a warning. This episode contains topics and or language that could be heavy or triggering and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. On October 1st of 2017, at approximately 10.05 p.m., the perpetrator in the Route 91 Harvest Festival shooting opened fire from his hotel room on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. He opened fire down onto those in attendance of the country music festival. Headliners for the festival were Sam Hunt, Eric Church, Jason Aldean, Big and Rich, In the end, after only around 10 minutes of shooting, nearly 60 people were dead and well over 400 people were injured. As of right now, this year alone, there have been over 500 mass shootings in the United States. We spoke with Shannon and Wayne, a couple who survived this horrific event in 2017. They give a full and detailed account of their experience, the emotions and thoughts that were going through their head at the time of the event, and also their healing process after the event. Shannon and Wayne, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really, really excited to have you. Oh, thank you. Just to start off, could you tell us a little bit about yourselves? So my name is Shannon and I'm actually a director for a local company. And um, in my free time, I'm actually a volunteer firefighter, uh, passed EMS and, and kind of worked in the volunteer world. My name's Wayne. I'm actually a 911 dispatcher for our, for our county here. And I've uh, been in the volunteer fire service since 98 um, and EMS as well and they're all volunteer work. Yeah I guess a little more about the two of us is we live together we don't have any kids um, but we have our dog and we are fully involved in everything from community services to concerts to uh, putting people together. We love being around other people and bringing everyone together that's kind of our thing. (laughs) So we are frequent frequent concert goers. We have a a core group of friends that we we traveled down to Florida for you know, larger music festivals. And we have the Bethel Woods concert venue right up the road from us that we frequent quite a bit. Woodstock. And we, wood, the yeah. Woodstock, uh, the Woodstock venue. And every, every couple of years, we try to make it a point of one big concert, you know, and I had heard about this route 91 festival in Vegas in early of 2017. And I brought it up to the group and everybody was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. It's Vegas. And Shannon and I had been to Vegas numerous, numerous times. It's and three our, days in Vegas. <laughs> three days of music in Vegas. You know, just country, awesome. We finally we booked and we ended up out there at September 29th. 
So we, uh, we brought the two of them out with us and they had never been before. And so we call them our, our Vegas virgins. So we took them up and down the strip the first day and just kind of got a feel for the town for them. And then the next day was the, uh, the first day, first night of the concert. And I have to say that um, the concert was awesome because it was on the strip. Uh, right across the street from, uh, actually technically across the street from Luxor, which is right next to Mandalay Bay. And then on the other side of it is Excalibur. And so you could stay in the hotel, walk across the street to the venue. And it was like, you couldn't ask for anything better. It was perfect. And then our two friends from Florida actually uh, were friends with, and, and so were we, with two friends from Pennsylvania who also went with two friends from California. So next thing you know, there's like, there's a group of us that are at this event and we met so many people at the event. There was a Malibu tent, well, a hut, sorry, it was Malibu hut. And by days two and three, like we were up in the Malibu hut, we were making even more friends. Like it was, it was a pretty phenomenal experience so i would say mm-hmm. three days of really just awesomeness and if you can imagine what it's like walking up and down the strip all day uh in the hot sun <laughs> in the desert in vegas you know which by the way you can walk easily like five miles right round trip and then you're stopping off for lunch or you're stopping off for a drink or you're just drinking all day and then um some of these things would start around 1 30 for the I don't want to say the no names, but you know, the, the up and comers. Um, and then they had the next to Nashville tent. So that was the up and coming at the time it was Luke Combs and a couple other people were on that tent starting early. And then, so either you'd show up there or you would show up around five o'clock, which is when the big names started coming out. And if you wanted to get a good spot on the grass, it was turf. They had this half moon of turf around, around the front of the stage, right? So if you wanted a good spot, you got there a little bit early. And of course we've been drinking, you know, not terribly, but you know, you're not hydrated <laughs> and, and you go to this venue and, and uh, you know, you're just kind of hanging out and, and just enjoying the moment and meeting people and everyone's friendly. The, the atmosphere was almost euphoric. Yeah. It's really um, cool. It was a, an event of, Firemen, cops, military, all public servants. And a lot of times you go to concerts, you know, like if, if you bumped into somebody, you know, it, it would start fight, you know, uh-huh. and, and you bump into somebody here and it was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I bumped into you. You know, it, it's, it's really friendly. It was the whole weekend, never saw a single fight. Like everybody no. was just, it was, it was almost like the country version of Woodstock. You know, everybody was peace and love and oh, everybody was so just happy and enjoying. Like uh, it was just, it was there, no nonsense. And there weekend. was 21,000 tickets sold and you can't, obviously you don't know who was there or what days, whatever, but um, it was packed like at night it was packed. And so to, to, I think it speaks volumes that there was that positive atmosphere. And we were, it's so funny, by night one, the event didn't have their stuff together, um, missing drinks, foods, whatever it was. And we were all a little annoyed. By nights two and three, we were making plans to come back next year. Like it was, uh, you know, it really was awesome. Was this the first year for that concert? They, they'd done it numerous years before. before? We, okay. just never, we just never heard of it. The, the highway on Sirius XM promotes it. Big time, you know, and then finally we're like, what is this Route 91 festival? Yeah. Vegas, like, we gotta go there. Or we're going, you know, it was, it was really kind of, I think it was, it was cool. right on the tails of the Jacksonville mm-hmm. Country Fest. Mm-hmm. We okay. went down to Ch- Jacksonville, Florida. The, the summer prior. Yeah. Our friends from Tampa came up 
Uh, and we, and then four of us flew down and we did three days in Jacksonville, which was wow. amazing. Yeah. So we were like, heck, let's try it again. <laughs> so, so yeah, day, day one went, they were, like she said, they were, they're getting your feet wet and you're getting everything. And by day two, we were, we were in a good mode. We knew where we wanted to sit and we know where we wanted to be. Like we knew where the beverage, you know, all the, all the beer was, all the food was, and we were just, night two was probably our most livacious we'll say uh-huh. <laughs> we were uh we were feeling really good yeah you know, and, and and you can't you can't like get falling down drunk at these things because obviously you have to walk back to your hotel i mean maybe that's because of our age but we're like i had to get back to my hotel and i have to make sure that i take my advil and my water before bed mm-hmm. like those <laughs> yeah that's that's it's, it's like it's age and just being yeah because yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're so old you both oh. no but but now even like, I, w- I know I'd be like, no, I have to go to bed at a certain point. Like I can't, I do. I can't do it. I do. And and there's like those things where at, first of all, it's a festival. Like I know we just told you how like peace, love and happiness it all was, but I mean, it's still Vegas <laughs> and like, you're still going to leave the festival and walk across the street and you don't know who's out there. So I think there's always that the basic situational <laughs> awareness where you're like, I have to. I have to make sure I'm responsible for myself, (laughs) but we were, I mean, like, listen, we were absolutely feeling Mm -hmm. good and the environment was good and everybody around you was good. The vibe was Mm -hmm. cool, you know, and it was super awesome. So like one of my most memorable moments of of that night was just, we were leaving the second night we were leaving early because we're, we're all starving as we were walking out and brothers Osborne was playing um, and their song stay a little longer. Uh, There's a, pretty decent long like guitar solo riff kind of kind of deal and it's dark out it's dusk you know the lights are on and we're walking out the band's playing behind us i had shannon's hand in mine and like all four of us were together and it was just like it was that just perfect moment in time and like it, it's just ingrained in my head you know it's walking out every time i hear that song now it brings me back to to that moment at that concert and it, it just it's such an awesome feeling. Like they talk about Eric Church talks about a melody. What is it? A melody. A, a melody connected memory. Yeah. And that was his. And if you can't tell, he's an audiophile. No. Just slightly. <laughs> but he he every single time that song comes out, even to this day, mm-hmm. there's a positive thing with him. Like I, I have to make sure he's not driving the car because he just gets like, <laughs> Man, remember that time? I'm like, Yeah, Sonny, I yeah. do. But it's you know, it's awesome that you even with everything, you know, that night or that weekend, like that still was such a positive experience you know away from that mm-hmm. so and then, uh yeah so we, we ended up leaving and day three um we ended up a little bit late to the concert or we were out <laughs> probably we were, we were probably a little hungover <laughs> but you know as soon as we got in you know where's the beer stand you know and but we did the same thing we mm-hmm. walked the strip that morning Mm-hmm. So there was, again, a lot of physical activity. And I mean, I don't think anybody, I, listen, the sun takes it out of you, mm-hmm. right? Even if it is a dry heat, um, there's no, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you're still walking in the sun all day. Even if you try your one bottle of water per five drinks, um, you're still a little bit behind. And, you know, and then we, I, that day, actually, we, I, I don't know why I remember this. We went to White Castle. Mm-hmm. Wayne had White Castle for the first time. <laughs> Yeah, that was the first time I had never had it before. It was, and it was amazing. How embarrassing! (laughs) I married this guy. Hey, Wayne, I I get it. I just had White Castle a couple years ago for the first time, and 
Yeah. Okay. It, it's, I, what? It, I mean, our, our closest one is down in Rockland County. I mean, it's, you know, it's a really? 40 minute drive. Yeah. It's, it's always like, I don't understand the words that are coming. There's one right across the highway from me. <laughs> oh, man. I, and that's why it's, and that's like Chick fil A for us, too. The closest one is down in Jersey. Yeah. You know, it's, like, oh, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Process that. Oh, we'll get man. you a crave case and just thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we finally, you know, make it down to the concert, and we we knew that we were flying out the next morning to come home. Um, that would have been Monday, Monday yeah. morning. So you know, like we we don't we can't go too crazy today. You know, got to go back and pack and yeah, which you know, we did not, do. which we didn't. Um, and we knew we wanted to go right to that Malibu hut. So if you were looking at the stage so so the venue had a couple uh two two different areas where you could pay for a vip package to go into actually there's there was more than that so there was a vip seating which was if you're looking at the stage it was to the right they also and they were under a white tent that white tent area was kind of aligned with close to the strip to the strip yes we tried so hard to get tickets in there. And I mean, like when I tell you that tickets went on sale, 9 a.m., whatever morning it was back in March, like I tried so hard and we just didn't get in. Um, because if you went the previous years, you got pre-sale. If you were a newbie, you didn't get pre-sale. So, of course, by the time we run in, uh, the group of us had decided that we wanted VIP. It wasn't available. So when we get there, fast forward to September, we're, we're there at the venue. We learn when you download the app, there was little push notifications and they said there was other areas where you could get into this tent or that tent. And I forget the names of them, but there was two of them. They were on either side, like midway through the venue, but you still had an awesome seat because they were tents, but you could sit up top. So you could see down, you could see the stage from a whole different venue, you know, perceptive uh, area of it. And I was like, hey, we should do that. It's only like a hundred bucks or whatever it was per person. I was like, we should totally do that. And everyone's like, no, no, no. So I mentioned on day two, we found the Malibu hut. Now, if you're looking at the stage, the Malibu hut was to the left. The Malibu hut um, had, it was a very small container. Yeah, it was just a, it was a mini container, but it was decorated, right? And you were allowed to walk upstairs up top and then you could, you know, just sit there and enjoy the concert. But mind you, you're kind of like, at the side of the the stage. So you kind of have this weird perception. It wasn't a bad view. It was just not the best. But if you looked over the back of it, you could see all the crew and mm-hmm. all this, the performers. So you're like, oh, it's, it's not perfect for either one of them, but it was such a cool place to sit and it was free. And down below, they were selling um, Malibu coconuts. They were hollowing out coconuts, putting the, the brand on them for Malibu and then selling these drinks. And so I was like, well, I know where I need to be. So <laughs> we sat there in that Malibu hut all night for probably, probably until about nine o'clock. Yeah. About yeah. Night. It was about nine o'clock. Same. You know, and we were overlooking, looking over the sunset and the stage and the Luxor, like everything was just, it, it was just perfect. Oh, you know, and the sunset was beautiful. Everything like, and everybody was just chilling and cool and it was just it was the the crowd was a little bit smaller than the previous nights because it was sunday night i'm sure a lot of people went home um yet it was the biggest headliner it was jason aldean and um oh my gosh so finally we 
we had to finally had to go to the bathroom, you know? So we, I, I come down and went to the bathroom and came back. Everybody else was still up top. And it was basically to the point of, no, where, that was me. I went with uh, you. Yeah. And we came back and they said, well, there's too many people up there. You can, we can't let you up. But half of our other party was still up there. And, and our like, stuff was up there. Our stuff. So our, our friends up top and like, you know what, we'll just come down. You know, we'll, we'll go hang out on the turf, like where we were the, the two nights before. I said, mm-hmm. okay, cool. And so we make our way out into the crowd. You know, we, we kind of establish our, our spot with, with all eight of us that, you know, we're, we're there. And, uh, so big and rich came on and they did the God bless America, oh, yeah. you know, and everybody, they were into it. you know, it used to be, you hold your lighters up now. If you hold your phone <laughs> up, you know, with the, the flashlight, <laughs> you know, it, it, it was just such a cool moment. Like this, they, they put a shot of the crowd, you know, from the stage and you could just see everybody's, yeah. you know, it, it was just such a, a holistic moment. Like everybody was just unified and everybody was, it was just so empowering. Like, it was such an awesome, awesome moment. And Jake Owen came on next. Jake Owen, I don't remember much about him. I was, <laughs> oh, good, you were processing. I was, I was feeling pretty. <laughs> I was feeling pretty good at this point. <laughs> Jake Owen came on, and he played for a little bit as well. And I, th- I think you're right. I think we were all feeling it at this point. And so um, Jake Owen gave a performance, uh, and then, you know, I think that's when we all switched to water. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Like everyone was finishing up their drinks and it was like, do you want a, another drink? And all of us was just like, no, we, you know, Jason Aldean's coming on. We know he's the last one. All of us were leaving tomorrow morning. So we were like, no, nope, we got to switch to water. And so we broke out the water and we broke out the cigars. Now um, you had enough cigars for practically everybody. Mm-hmm. So most of us were sitting there smoking cigars and um, you know, I guess, I guess this is the part where it gets into, into the details of what happened that night, but it was, that's, that was the last normal moment I would say is that we were making the decision to switch to water. Mm-hmm. We were all just kind of coming down slowly off of that high. You could see everybody was just kind of, you know, mm-hmm. people who wanted to stay for Jason, people who were like, I really got to, I really got to go. It's Sunday night. You know, it's getting to be 10 o'clock. Um, so that was really the last normal moment that I remember. So we were kind of, Shannon was in front of me. I was behind her, our our two friends, you know, husband and wife, they were behind each other and kind of like the same. So we were four wide, but two deep guys in the back, back, girls in the front. And we're smoking our cigars and Jason comes out and he starts playing his, his set. And we, uh, so Shannon was, we were smoking our cigars and like she, she turned around to me and she's like, can you stop ashing your cigar on me? And I was like, I was like, I'm not like, I, I was done. I put my cigar down, you know, it was like, you know, put it out. And I was like, I'm, I don't have my cigar anymore. You know, it's, it's out. She goes, okay. You know, as you had felt mm-hmm. the, this like burning on my legs, burning sensation on her legs. I thought I, and it felt like, he was flicking his cigar on my legs. That's, and I knew he was smoking. I knew, you know, our two other friends were smoking. Their friend was smoking. Like we were all kind of smoking. My girlfriend, you know, one of the wives was smoking and I was smoking, you know, just kind of chilling, not really smoking it, but we had lit cigars in our hand, mm-hmm. I guess is probably the best thing to say, but 
And I just, I felt it. And at first I thought it was me. Then I thought it was him. Then I was getting annoyed because I thought he was just denying it because he messed up. <laughs> you know, typical guy thing. He's like, no, no, it totally wasn't me. And I'm like, no, it's totally you. Um, and then I look and I realize he doesn't have one in his hand. So I, I want to back up though, mm-hmm. because that's one piece of this. But I, there was something else happening at the same time that we weren't in the moment piecing them together. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where, you know, um, we hear a lot of people go, well, how didn't you know? How didn't you know? You know what? Um, because I was at a concert and I think, I think that's probably one lesson that we need to take away from all these people who experience trauma that happens to them is, you know, this whole, like, well, how didn't you know that I, I, I could have seen that? Well, yeah. Monday morning quarterbacking is so much easier when you have it on a, a TV and you can look at everything and you have all the details. And so the one detail that was missing from that story was that at the same time, we heard firecrackers and you'd hear a couple and then they would stop. And, you know, at this point, we're sobering up, we're tired, <laughs> you know, we're in our thirties. It's almost 10 o'clock. Like we're, we're annoyed. <laughs> and, um, especially since you're sobering up. And, and I was starting to get pissed off. I was like, who on earth is lighting off firecrackers and in, in a concert in a concert, or maybe it's outside in the parking lot, because by the way, on the other side of the fence, um, the, the whole venue was in a abandoned parking lot and it was surrounded by a fence and there was eight exits. If memory serves me correctly, eight or nine. And on the other side was a parking area. So I don't know. It's Sunday night. It's the last night of the concert. Maybe somebody's getting excited and doing fireworks because it sounded like the crackly ones, not like a big boom. It just sounded like the big crackly one. And then it would stop. And then it would start again. And then it would stop. And that probably happened two or three times. So, and then of course, at the same time, I'm looking at him like, stop flicking your ashes on me. <laughs> you know, Because why on earth would it be what it was that night? 10.05 p.m. is the exact time the first shots were fired into the Las Vegas Village area. Jason Aldean was performing on stage. The festival was predominantly filled with emergency responders. Was that like a fundraising event for them or? Not really. Um, I think it's just the, not the genre of people, but you know, just, it was, it was a, there's a lot of, first of all, there's over, I can't remember off the top of my head, so I apologize to our military personnel, but between Nevada, California, Southern California, and uh, some in Arizona, there was over 15 military establishments in the area, if not more, um, from Luke Air Force Base in Arizona to, you know, just all over the place. So mm-hmm. it's very, it has a higher um, military presence mm-hmm. in the area naturally. Um, and then uh, I think what you were trying to get at with country music as as like, it just seems like a lot of emergency services personnel listen to country to the music. Country, you know, the country yeah, yeah, country is, yes, yeah, certain people tend to listen mm-hmm. to country more than others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the military, uh, that's what I attributed to. Yeah, when we just, counted it, It was there was a significant amount. And there was a significant military discount for tickets oh, as well. Okay, yeah. So, okay. yeah, yeah. So we're hearing the 
the fireworks and you know the ashing of the cigars and something the the mood in in the crowd kind of shifted you, you could definitely tell a sense of different sense so of weird. not panic but a definite sense of like something's not right everybody's just kind of looking around and like you could tell something wasn't right and then you know i started to feel the that's the burning, right the burning sensation on my legs and i'm like what is going on you what walked is... up next to me and and you were like that's what that is our friend from you know florida felt it too and, um, it. <laughs> and at that point i kind of looked over towards the other side of the strip or towards the strip and all of a sudden you start seeing people kind of like spreading out and like not dispersing but definitely like like there Moving. was a fight in progress, you know, everybody kind of backs up and just, you know, lets them. It looked like a swarm it, almost. Yeah. Like people didn't know where to go. And and I can I can I mm-hmm. put this point? So we, if you're looking at the stage, we're on the left side of the stage. Where we're looking is on the right. But what we didn't tell you was in between. There's actually there's a sound booth, mm-hmm. right? The stage comes out into a T. Then there's the sound booth, and then behind that, they had a couple of. I, I don't want to call them tents. They were shacks or something. Vendor. Yeah, vendors, vendors for things. beer, food, whatever. Um, not a lot, just like two or three of them. So there was a distinct T. Splitting the crowd. Splitting the crowd. So, but you, we were able to, um, it was low enough where we were able to kind of like get up on your tippy toes and look over the crowd. And that's when we noticed, because I, I did the same thing. I looked, I was like, what on earth? And you're kind of looking around and you're like, what is going on? When I say that you had this peace, love, everything's happiness. And then all of a sudden it just changed. I can't even explain so it, it. It just changed. Literally somebody flicked the switch and it just, there was this, Suddenly just everyone's this sense edge. of fear almost. Like yeah. Something was definitely wrong. And so when we were looking over the top there of that T area over the vendor booth, I saw the same thing. I mm-hmm. saw like it, I equate it to a swarm, a swarm of bees, a swarm of, uh, not a swarm of birds, but you know, a flock of birds, like where they're doing that swarming, like, People started trying to move, but they didn't know where to go. And they couldn't go because there were so many people on the other side. And at that point, I had kind of looked at her and I was like, this, this is getting weird. We should, maybe we should start thinking about going. The fireworks are still going on. So, and now I'm really annoyed because maybe is something going on on the strip? Like maybe they're not fireworks. Oh, is that, is that gun? Is there a gunfight going on? On the strip. At 10.06 p.m., security officer Campos heard noises, which he described as rapid drilling noises. The shooter had fired into the Las Vegas Village area and then fired at Officer Campos in the hallway of the 32nd floor. Las Vegas Police Department officers that were inside the venue described hearing what they initially thought were fireworks. Officers then quickly realized the sounds were gunfire after identifying the source of the noise. I really was trying to process it in my head of what is going on because I already told myself it's fireworks. So trying to, being in that heightened state of alertness and trying to com- trying to open up your brain to be open-minded is, is really hard because you've already told yourself it's fireworks and you've calmed yourself down. But now your brain's going, yeah, maybe not. And you're like, no, 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 it's totally fireworks. And so 
I'm getting annoyed at that. And then he makes that comment that you just mentioned. And I'm like, yeah, I'm on board. Let's get out of here. I'm tired of this. And I, so we were all still kind of standing next to each other and in a line. And I was yeah. on the furthest, closest to the stage. And then there was the three other couples. And I turned to, to look to, to them to make sure that they were okay. And I witnessed one of the first people being shot five, five people away from us, basically. And it clicked. I said, we need to go. We needed to get out of here now. And I grabbed Shannon and I grabbed our other friend or the, the female half of the other couple from Florida and grabbed them. And I said, let's go. And the male half um, was attending to the other two couples. So I had the two of them and said, let's go. And we were, and we just booked it. it. And at that point, everybody in the crowd was hightailing it out. Jason had stopped playing. Mm -hmm. And um, it probably took less than a split second for the band to stop playing us to realize what was going on and seeing that person like we're four in a row. Number five, who's not with our group is no, no, yeah. Shot no longer with us. And we were like, uh, we, uh, no, we have to go. Like, and, and it felt like eternity. It yeah, felt say, like, how long did it actually feel? Yeah. It probably took less than, less than a second. If you think about it, maybe two seconds. It felt like that was a whole five minute when we later on, you know, when we're processing this, you know, you're like, oh my God, that felt like, that felt like 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, the entire thing was like, they figured out less than 15, but that split second in time felt like eternity. So we, I had the two of them. We ran towards the fence, towards the gate. I ended up in, um, they had Coca-Cola oh. VIP areas that were like three stories tall. They were the mini containers, containers. container apartments. They basically called them. Um, we ran in between them and we get to the fence and people are trying to open the gate and they're, they're pushing on the gate, pushing on the gate, pushing. And they're like, it, it's not opening. And it was one of the slide ones and nobody could get it open. So at this point, everybody's like, well, screw it. We're jumping over the fence. And it was a good 10 foot tall and Easily. it was chain link, but it had this fiber mesh material in it. So you couldn't see through. And you couldn't grab on to it. So that means you couldn't get your fingers in there to crawl, you know, <clears throat> get people up and over. And so finally we're like, screw it. You know, we just started hoisting people up and over, up and over. We had a protection of a couple box trucks, you know, next to us. So we were kind of in what we thought was a safe zone, but we're pushing people up and over and we don't know what's going on on the outside of the strip. Right. Like on, on you know, on that side of the property. Security officers were then notified of shots fired at the venue by Las Vegas PD and from within the Mandalay Bay Hotel from Security Officer Campos. At 10.07 p.m., the search for the shooter was underway. So I I just wanted to add into that, though, that we didn't know at the time his, the shooter's range of capability um, because we didn't know, we didn't know if there was a, sh- well, we knew there was a shooter. We didn't know if they were in the fairgrounds. We didn't know if he was outside the fairgrounds. 
Was there more than one? Was Were the police already here? We didn't know any of that. And when you are just running in that moment, there's this, um, a lot of people froze. And I'm sure there's freezing from just shock uh, and, and no blame whatsoever on those people. There's a lot of responses for that. But I know in my head, if you had to ask me what was going through my head, it was, well, do I run or do I stay? And a lot of people did stay and they hunkered down because again, whoever thought that there was a shooter on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay with these long range rifles being able to no, a lot of us thought they were either on the strip or they were in, in the venue. In the crowd. No, I was going to say, did it sound like it was coming from, like you couldn't tell where it was coming you from? Couldn't yeah, you tell because yeah. on the, the backside of us was all of the fuel uh, tanks for the airport. And then on the other side was the strip. And then behind us was basically the whole Northern part of the strip, you know, MGM. And then it just starts, you know, yeah. it goes up. And you weren't hearing, and, you didn't hear the gun. The it, gun, the gun is in the right. Cause it's so far away. You're only hearing. Yeah. You're, you're hearing the bullets. Ball. Yeah. You're hearing the bullets on the ground, which is why when people were like, Shannon, you've shot a gun before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mm, yep. Yep. I've totally shot a gun before. Um, I have not shot one from 150 yards yeah. away or whatever it was. And um, I no, I'm sorry. That and wasn't. Um, the echo. People don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I like, have you heard a gun? Yeah, I've heard a gun, but there was no <laughs> gun around. Yes. Yeah, and no gun. You, you just said that the airport was right behind you guys. So yes. there's a lot of like noise. The concert, yeah. the planes, yeah. okay. the helicopter, you know, yeah, the helicopter tours, they're constant. The helicopters in Vegas are constant mm-hmm. because they're just doing the loop. And, you know, they just do the t- 10 minute tour of the Vegas Strip and they're just constantly taking off, getting setting down. And they were going right over the venue. The venue. Because because the end of the strip was so um, Giles Street. Um, and then there was on the other side of that was like a few office buildings. And then it was technically the executive end of McCarran airport. And there was a fuel silo over there as well. And I mean, like, so it's the strip, it's the venue, it's another street, it's the parking lot, which is empty lot, uh, sizable. And then there's another little street and then there's the executive buildings and then there's the airport. And, And it's actually not, it sounds like a lot, but it's not that, not that far. far it's away. not like a New York City block. It's a small, small block. And to give you perspective, um, I, I was kind of talking about range mm-hmm. of of what the shooter could get to. And he actually, they found holes, bullet holes um, from his guns in the fuel tank at the airport. Between 10.08 and 10.09 p.m., the shooter fired at two of the McCarran international airport fuel tanks so it's um hindsight 2020 right monday morning quarterback when we hopped over that fence which i'll I'll let you get back to in a second i just wanted to but we thought we were safe like when we we and there was nothing there's no logic behind that because i just told you we thought he was on the outside is he on the inside is there more than one and we i think I think subconsciously, I was like, well, if they're shooting inside the venue, they're probably not outside the venue. But then when you're getting ready to jump the fence, you're like, well, am I going to get ambushed? Because everything's off the table at this point. Any any logic, it's off the table because you don't know what's going on. You don't know what to expect. 
And I will say a, a moment um, I remember very vividly when we were like, all right, we'll just hide in this box truck. And I remember the driver literally saying, my box truck is full because we couldn't get out of the, the fence, like you were saying. And nobody could figure out how to operate the sliding gate door, which in our defense, there's fire code for a reason. I don't know if anyone really notices this, but in public buildings, if you need to get out of the building, that's why the doors swing out is because in an emergency, people don't think and they just push and go. And that was what was happening with that gate. And people couldn't think about sliding the gate. There's no thought behind that. And so <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't knock the gate down, honestly, but um, they finally slid it open, but it was by the time we were already over the fence. But I, I going back to that, I'm sorry, but that gentleman saying my box truck is full and my cab is full. Like you could see there was people hanging out his cab. He goes, I can't help anyone else. I'm so sorry. God bless and good luck. And he shut his door. And I literally looked at Wayne and I was like, okay, do we hide under it? Like, <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And he goes, no, we're going over the fence. And he hurled myself and my girlfriend over the fence. And everyone, by the way, in the heat of the moment, people were helping. People were like, everybody was helping. Everybody, everybody. was helping everybody. It wasn't, it wasn't one man for himself and screw you. No, it was, it was literally people with their, their hands, you know, their fingers trying to make a, a lift and trying to get you up and over the fence. And then like after a couple people, somebody would come along to that person, tap them on the shoulder and go, go. it's your turn, yeah. go. And I'll, I'll take over. Nobody was trained for that. People just helped. That's and that, it was, yeah. oh my God, it was, it was so cool. So anyway, so, so I, I agree about the fence. I've never... Not too many people mm -hmm. have this, but in the fire department, we have what's called bailout training. We always have a, a rescue harness on us at all times, and we have a descender and a rope, and they teach you how to get out of a building via a window if, God forbid, you needed to, right? There's nobody there. Mm -hmm. There's a flashover, whatever it is. You need to get out of that window now. They teach you how to hook your arm and get over that. And let me tell you, on that 10 or 12-foot fence, Oh, thank God I knew how to do that because I was able to swing my body over that and, and drop. There were a couple injuries. People were getting injured, not because they were shot, but people getting injured because they fell. Um, nobody got trampled that I know of, um, but people fell and broke their ankle. Um, we had people that just, you know, break an arm, break, you know, do this, do that. And so now they're hurt you know, and people are just trying to, uh, people are just trying to help other people, but I'll let you continue. Cause like, you know, picking up from, I'm, I'm trying to like, I see both of us getting, you know, so I'm trying to take a break. So we end up, we get out of the events. venue. The other half of our friend is still inside that, that we know of helping the other couple. Yeah. So we got about 50 feet down the road. And we thought we were, it's, I thought we were, I thought we were safe in safety. I grabbed Shannon and I said, listen, go back to the hotel. I will meet you there. I have to go back for him and get him out. And cause my friend was like, where is he? Where is he? Her, her husband, you know, I have to go back and get him and make sure the other guys are okay. 
and I gave her a kiss and I turned around. You told me you love me. Yeah, I told her I love you. Go back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. And I turned around for a hot second. And then I turned around. I'm like, what am I doing? He's able to get out. And I turned back around to see Shannon and she was gone. Like gone. I, I, I don't know if I had tunnel vision or whatnot. She could have been 10 feet away from me. She was gone. And, you and know, then it was that sheer moment of panic. Like, what did I just do? What I just sent her. God knows where. We don't know where this guy is. We don't know, you know. What's happening. So I said, all right. Well, I had a mission. I said I was going to go get him. And I went back in. I, wait, wait. Because you turned around uh, just on the tunnel vision note. Mm-hmm. You turned around and I wasn't there. Let me tell you something. Our friend and I were now running down the street and I literally started running and then I turned around to look at her and fi- and just look at him one last time. Cause I didn't know what was going to happen. And he was gone. I could barely see my girlfriend. I mean, you want to talk about tunnel vision. That's the other thing. People are like, Oh, you didn't see that. No, I, I, dude, I, I was trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And I think your brain just shuts off recognition in some cases, but anyway, sorry. Go ahead. So, so Shannon ran with, with her and I, I had no idea where they were. And at this point, they shut all the lights out. Yeah. In the venue. Like it was dark. It was dark, dark. And the street lights were still on. You know, I think he had all the ambient light from, you know, whatever you know, casinos or whatnot. But, but the it was response, dark. The response was absolutely amazing. The, the, sec- yeah. not, I don't know, the security team, the security team was made up of police officers, by the way. They were working like a side gig type situation. So it's, they were definitely trained, but uh-huh. they, they were on it. Mm-hmm. Again, probably less than five minutes, and they were already like, "Okay, this is our plan." And this is when all the officers, the 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 other police part, started showing up. You know, so I got back to the gate that we were trying to push open that was mysteriously already finally had been okay. open, and the officer there had three or four people huddled behind his car, and he, you know, asked, "It's like, are you, you know, are you medical?" Are you? And I was like, "I, I medical." You know, he goes, "All right, can you help him, him, and her?" And, okay, you know, one of them, three people of them were shot, and one of them had broken ankle, and kind of got them, you know, to a point where they were quote unquote stable. And I still couldn't find the other half of our party. So it's, all right, you know, I'm looking around, and I asked the officer, I was like, he's like, I have an ambulance coming for them. Get out of here. So so I got out of there, but I went further into the venue. <laughs> Looking around, looking around, you know, and and finally, at this point, they turned all the lights back up. Like, it was like daylight in there. And I'm looking around and looking around, and there's, I'd say there's 10% of the people left that were there earlier. And looking around, I can't find him. I can't find him. I can't find him. And then I started feeling that burning sensation on my legs again. And I was like, nope, I'm out. Uh, And hightailed it towards the back gate because you could you, at this point you could tell what direction it was coming from and i hightailed it to the back gate ran into another officer who had probably 12 people with him and it was literally like people ripping shirts and making tourniquets and literally fingers in mm-hmm. bullet holes to stop bleeding and we're we're telling people like, get out Get out, get out. You know, we're trying to usher people, all the people that were in hiding, because at this point the gun, the gunfire had stopped. 
all the people that were in hiding were starting to come out and, uh, and we're just like, get out, get out, you know? And, and finally the venue, look in the venue and it was eerie, eerie, eerily empty. And so finally, you know, the ambulances started showing up and we, we, you know, we getting people in. And um, finally I, I turned to the officer at this point. And I was like, do you need anything else? And he said, thank you, but get out of here. And I said, okay. And I'm walking and I told, I told Shannon to go to the hotel. I said, I'm going to the hotel. That's where I'm going. I, there was this little gas station on the corner right by the venue. And I had blood all over my hands. I God knows what, you know, and all I wanted to do was wash my hands. And I'm knocking on the door of the gas station and the guy was there. He was in there and he said, nope, nope, not letting you in. Nope, nope, nope. I'm like, that was the first time that we met somebody who was who was defiant against yeah, in, what was going story, on. Yeah. So I literally went out to the the windshield washer bucket and I was like, "Oh, this has got alcohol in it." You know, let me just and I washed my hands with windshield washer fluid. You know, and there was a woman standing there and she was obviously shaken. And I'm like, "Are you okay? You know, are you shot? Are you you know what, what's wrong with you?" She goes, I, "I I've lost my party. I lost my best friend. I, I think she's still in there." I'm like, "Okay, well, we need to get out of here. We need we will." get you reunited. Let's go. And so we walked across the street up towards the Luxor and we're walking up the pathway and they said, all right, everybody in this door, like, why can't we go in the main door? Why can't we go in? And they said, nope, everybody in this door, everybody in this door. And they wanted everybody inside and we're there for two, three minutes. And they said, okay, everybody into the basement, everybody into the basement. We're like, why are we going into the basement? Like, what are we, what my room was up there. I, I, I want to I go, you know, I told my wife to go to the room. And so they shoved everybody downstairs and they said, just line the hallways. Everybody just sit tight, sit comfortable until we secure. We, we, we have info that there might be another, another shooter I said, okay. And said, they, they literally closed the doors behind us and locked them. I'm like, okay, well, at least he's not getting in here. And probably about an hour into that. You know, you're you're starting to come down a little bit, and people are starting to watch the news on their phones. And they tell us, "Oh, there's a bomb scare in mm-hmm. in the Luxor." Then why are you putting us in the basement? Like buildings fall down. Like you know, if there's a bomb in this building, it's going to fall down into the, the basements and casinos are probably some of the most secure places in the world. We learned this after. Yep. Yeah. They, they're earthquake proof, bomb proof. So we're in a good, good spot. So I guess backing up for a second to, yeah. So we're over the fence and, you know, he goes his way. And I know he just told you his story, but, um, you know, for, for us, it was, we started running towards the airport. We didn't know we were running towards the airport. We were just running away. We were running away from the strip because I think in my head, I was like, well, it's in the venue or it's on the strip and it doesn't look like anyone's down here. And we were one of the first people out. So I think that was one of the benefits of being on the fringe. Like we were in the crowd, but with the crowd being less that night, um, we were still pretty close to the stage, but um, we you, had room, the, you had room to move. Like you had a lot of elbows, right. like what you weren't packed in. But, but my point is, is that we were we were one of the first groups off, you know, yeah. away. So we were in the crowd, but we were one of the first groups out. We were one of the first groups, and everyone else was running towards um, this little development. 
And so we were like, all right, I guess this is where we're going. And I remember a couple of, you know, a couple things from that night. I, I mentioned the, the gentleman in the truck. One of the other core memories of that night was my girlfriend actually has some medical issues and she can't run. And I had been trading for 5Ks and half marathons and I was not fast, but I was, I could run. And I remember we were running and my girlfriend was like, I can't, I can't just go on without me. And I was like, well, I'm not leaving you. So that's not happening. So I stopped and I was fast walking with her in the heat of it, walking down that road which was a little dead end thing. And I, I now we're getting towards this parking lot, right? And towards the end of the parking lot, it's fenced in. And as we're walking towards that area, I see people hopping the fence. And I said, all right, girlfriend, we're going to, we're going to hop this fence. We're going to get out of here. We're, we're going to follow wherever it is. I don't even care at this point. We'll go somewhere else and we'll get into one of these office buildings. It'll be fine. It's Vegas. Things are open 24 seven. And as we're walking, you know, I remember there was a woman in front of us who was shot in the shoulder because everyone who was shot was shot from the top down. So, cause nobody, you know, e- even if you got shot on your leg, it was at a down angle because of where the shooter was shooting from. So she was shot in the, sh- in the arm, in the shoulder. And I was, my first thought was, well, did it go through? Like, you know, is she okay? But everyone's in a state of shock. And so as you were walking, you'd see people come on up, hold these people like, you know, apply pressure, start to aid and walk at the same time, which it's amazing how in a crisis, everything that you've ever learned about, you know, scene safe, BSI, they call it in EMS world, right? Scene safety, you know, body substance isolation. It's out the window. It's out the window. You have to help another person. You better, you, you have a choice in this moment now or never. Either they live or they die. It's whether or not you have the courage to help them out. And in that moment, you're like, fuck it, a t-shirt will work. And, you you know, you're ripping t-shirt. People were ripping skirts. People were just to apply the pressure. They didn't have gloves. Mm -hmm. Nobody nobody had any protection. We we have a a rule in EMS. If if it's wet and sticky and it's not yours, don't touch it. And and (laughs) there was a lot of that going on. (laughs) Right. And so like, And again, it was the same thing where people would come up like this woman. I remember she had dark hair and you apply it. I was applying pressure to the shoulder and my girlfriend um, is a medic and she's like, she's like, okay, we're going to. And then somebody, I mean, not five seconds later, somebody else came up behind me and says, I've got her go and literally takes over pressure for me and starts walking. And that's, that's what it was, was other people were constantly trying to help by, I didn't want to say sacrificing themselves, but they were like, you go, I'll take care of this. And then I watched it. Yeah. I watched it happen at least two or three times on the same person, on that girl. You know, I, somebody, I walked up and told somebody to do it. I, I didn't realize this until afterwards, somebody else was applying pressure. And then I walked up, started applying pressure. And I said, it's okay. You go. And then somebody else came up behind me and said, okay, it's your turn to go. I don't know why we did it. We didn't know each other. It's just how it happened. And so we got up to this fence and I remember getting up to this fence. My girlfriend, you know, is still having issues. Um, 
with breathing because we didn't run, but I made her walk fast. And now I'm out of breath because my adrenaline's still going. Like nobody is in good shape here. Everyone's a little frazzled. And I remember coming up to this fence, which was up off the curb about a foot. And then it was probably about four foot tall, but it had spikes on it. It was a wrought iron fence with spikes on it. So one girl goes over the fence and she gets impaled on it with, and it goes through her thigh. <laughs> um, another guy goes through it and his, his ankle gets, gets, you know, impaled and it wasn't sharp, but it was, uh, you know, up at, still at a point. And I mean, these people are getting hurt again, people are getting hurt because they're, they're trying to get away. And it wasn't because anybody else was trampling them. It was because of the obstacles in, in place. And so everyone else is trying to help, you know, help get this person off, help get this person moving, help get this person ambulatory. And so we get over that hurdle. I get my girlfriend, I get over the fence. My girlfriend gets over the fence. Cause again, I'm not leaving her. And we get over the fence and we think we're safe. And before we mentioned that they were able to hit, the, the shooter was actually able to hit that fuel tank. Well, the fuel tank is still ahead of us. So we, and then we all started freaking out because as we're getting closer to the buildings, we hear gunshots again. Between 10, 11 and 10, 16 PM, the shooter fired more rounds. And we thought he, we thought we were suddenly being surrounded. We thought that there was more than one um, because we heard the gunshots and they were getting louder as we walked towards the buildings. We know now that it's because we were walking towards the buildings and it was echoing. Um, but again, in the moment, you're not thinking straight at all. At 10.17 p.m., no further gunfire was heard. So um, I'm, I'm going to tell the part about the desert rose and then and then you can take over. But so we continued down this road and probably another 50 feet. And all of a sudden there's somebody across the street telling us, get in here, get in here, get in here. And what it was is it's this place called the Desert Rose, which is a timeshare slash apartment complex. And a lot of people were staying there if they weren't staying at the hotels on the strip. Again, only a block off the strip at this point. It feels like forever. I've been talking about it forever, but it's only a block off the strip. And so my girlfriend and I run in there and... Um, they're literally just, people are just going, all right, you guys in here. Okay. Stop. Close the door, lock it. Don't answer it for anybody. You guys in here. And it was this gentleman who I will never forget was, um, weekend military, but full-time job was police officer. And I think he was PD for either Henderson or Las Vegas, because he knew the guys that were setting up outside for a command post. And so he was like, all right, there's 13 of you in here, close the door and whatever. And so we got into the room, my girlfriend and I got into the room and I didn't know what the hell was going on. I shoved her in the closet and I got in the closet with her and I shut the door and people were just huddled in the kitchen area, in the bathroom, um, in the living room. And we just huddled there for a little while. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Bound by the Cloak. Be sure to tune in next time for the conclusion to Shannon and Wayne's story. You won't want to miss it. We will have survivor resources in the show notes. 
and they're not specific to Route 91 survivors, so really they're for anybody. And if you're not doing so already, please subscribe or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. And be sure to check out our website, boundbythecloak.com. Part two will be out next week. We'll see you then.